The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to It Takes a Village. This is a seminar in which we're going to talk about helping students to transition. And um, and this is the American Association of Blind Teachers. And as many of you know, we are an affiliate organization of ACB. Membership dues for acting for, let's say, working teachers is um, $25 a year. And um, then our retired teachers, I believe, is $20 a year. And then we have a, a student membership, which I believe is $10 a year. And my name is Carla Hayes. I am the convention coordinator for AABT. And we've had a wonderful convention so far. No, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to introduce our speaker because um, I feel like if we um, introduce everybody, it might take a little bit too long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce our speaker, who is Nancy Fleurl and, um, with the uh, Nebraska Foundation. And um, she's going to talk to us about transition, helping our students to, um, to transition and some of the, you know, what programs they have and, and various and other things. So let's give her a big welcome. I want to thank you um, for inviting me. And um, at any point in time, if anyone has any questions, um, I'm very glad to entertain um, questions. So I'm Nancy Floral, and my day job is I work with the um, Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, and I'm the Omaha District Supervisor. But um, on my private time, I happen to be the chairperson for the Nebraska Foundation for Visually Impaired Children. And as president, I'm a non-voting member um, to make sure that there's no conflict of interest. So um, I want to give just a real brief history of the Foundation for Visually Impaired Children. As anyone in the education field, they know about the voc rehab system but the voc rehab system typically doesn't have any money to be able to provide any kind kind of services or technology to young children. So in um, the early 1960s, there was a group of women with the Bethel Synagogue that realized that blind and visually impaired children should have a preschool where they're really being um, taught important skills for them to be able to um, be able to be successful. And also they were working towards the goal of having children being able to be mainstreamed in their home community. So this same group of women went out and learned to become certified transcribers of Braille and ultimately helped the first student to be mainstreamed in Omaha, Nebraska, and actually Nebraska. And from there, they ultimately continued to provide Braille textbooks for students across the state. In um, the early 80s, um, they became incorporated and became the Nebraska Foundation for Visually Impaired Children. Their early, um, their early name was... Um, the site site preschool for visually impaired children. So um, in the early 80s, um, our director, Dr. James Nyman, was on the board of the Nebraska Foundation for Visually Impaired Children, and he was out of Lincoln, and he asked me to um, continue to have the presence on the board. From the very beginning, it's been an all-member board of about 12 um, very dedicated board members. Um, there, in the early years, there was absolutely no paid um, um, staff member at that time. Um, we um, also, from a very early age, um, depended on donations and some endowment that kept the foundation going. Probably in the late 90s, um, we 
for a short time had an executive director that helped coordinate the program, which was a paid position. But we were able to do that because we got a very large grant through the Omaha Community Foundation, which is one of the main um, funders for our program at this time. Um, We ultimately decided that the funds that we put into uh, an executive director was um, some funding that we could turn around and put into technology for students. So in the early years, the focus was how do we provide opportunities for blind and visually impaired students to be fully inclusive in the community? So it would was an opportunity to teach them about important social skills, inviting um, students and their families to cultural events, um, providing training for um, teachers of the visually impaired to grow in their skills and to be able to travel for workshops and conferences. And as they, we became incorporated and as we get to present day, we realized that so many other organizations have evolved. And in the course of this conference, I think that people have learned about Outlook Nebraska. And so Outlook Nebraska has a lot of enrichment programs that introduce children and teens and their families to all kinds of cultural events, um, including um, audio description at the children's um, theater, etc., and so what we decided is that we needed to not duplicate services, but to really tap into partnering with all these other organizations that are already providing some important skills and um, to help with any kind of funding. So Boys Town um, National Research uh, Hospital and Boys Town have funded for about 10 years Camp Abilities, which was a week-long sports program. So blind and visually impaired students from across the state were able to come and be introduced to countless number of sports and realize that vision doesn't need to preclude them from being involved in in those activities. And um, Boys Town also has a beeping Easter egg hunt. And so um, we help um, sponsor that as well by purchasing um, Braille and large print books as a part of the beeping Easter egg hunt. So they have like a different site where kids find this um, beeping Easter egg and then they have to ask um, what the, the actual site is and we'll say it's the book table or the candy table or whatever. And so we, they get to choose a book and we have wide range of of large print and Braille and beginning Braille books for students. So those are some examples of some other organizations in the community that that we work alongside. Um, uh, We, at one point in time, you know, we're looking at audio description, but um, Radio Talking Book and Outlook Nebraska have been working with providing opportunities for um, audio description as a part of, of their mission. And so we certainly share all of this information with individuals. So um, our focus today as an organization is to continue to partner with any organization so that we're able to leverage services and opportunities for children and families. But we, one of our main services that we provide is technology for students um, I'm going to say from birth to 13, because there are some preschool students um, because of of maybe some educational delays or something that there's um, ref, um, recommendations from their teachers, uh, teacher of the visually impaired or early intervention teacher. Um, they make a formal request to our organization to be able to provide that technology. So, we, we do work closely with school districts so that we're not um, choosing or providing any kind of technology to a student that they don't already have in this, in, as a part of their school day because, you know, that impacts learning, trying to learn two different devices. And so um, we work closely with them to make sure that they have that because across the state, 
um, when the school year ends, oftentimes technology stays with the school. This way, students have that, that equipment with them year-round to continue learning and to be able to stay connected with their technology. And as we know, you know, technology is just a part of our everyday life. Um, the other part of our, our service is we do continue to provide opportunities for um, teachers of the visually impaired to um, request some financial assistance to be able to um, attend conferences or attend a training that helps them grow. We also um, are um, continuing. We have a Christmas party for blind children across the state that they come um, early in December. They receive money to go shopping for their family and we have student volunteers that come and go shopping with them. They're high school, um, usually juniors or seniors that come and they receive service hours, but they go shopping with the student, come back. They actually work with them on the skills of wrapping their gifts, and then they have a pizza party. Um, we do also um, help fund parents you know, if they happen to need to go out of state for some kind of surgery and they don't have the funding to be able to get there and it's a real unique situation and it's not something that we um, are able to provide here in Omaha or in Nebraska. And then also for parents to be able to maybe attend a conference such as this um, to be able to learn more about um, consumer organizations or maybe specific like the albinism conference, you know, to be able to understand more about um, albinism and how that might impact their child's education, you know, advocacy, um, and also just to understand that, you know, that because of this visual impairment, that it doesn't need to limit you. You know, you have lots of opportunities and lots of resources. So... You know, part of my presentation today is for all of us to realize that there's not one organization that can meet the needs of, of students. We all know what funding's like for school districts. We know what kind of limitations that may be available through the book rehab. So I think thinking about organizations within your community that maybe have a mission um, and can tap into some really good um, grant funding um, that would be able to provide such technology and opportunity for students. Every year, grant funding goes untapped because people aren't applying for it. So um, as of today, we have about 10 very dedicated board members that help um, coordinate um, our services and they're all volunteer, and it comes from a wide range of um, retired visually impaired teachers to lawyers to um, we have three members that um, are um, children of founding members of the organization that continue to um, devote their time. So, is you know, I... I could go on to specifics about transition, um, and I don't know if there's any specific questions that people have for me. I'd like to stop for a minute and see if there's questions. So, uh, what I I am a individual who spent a lot of time working with uh, 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 college students transitioning to the workplace, and one of the things I hope you will have the chance to talk about, or somebody will during the session, is is a concern that I have is that. Uh, many of these students successfully complete their their education, and when they get to the work world, it's a different world. Um, they have to do a lot more self, a lot more self advocacy, and they you know they have uh, challenges that they haven't had to face before in the academic setting. And I hope um, you will talk about um, something that some folks things you have found useful in helping uh, those students make that transition. Thank you, Peter. Um, that's a wonderful question, and that really relates to, to my day job. Um, about four or five years ago, legislation was passed, and it was WIOA, in which it mandates all of us to stop working in silos. 
So it really mandates that voc rehab in the Department of Labor and school districts and community partners such as developmental disabilities come together and work together for students. So actually between 14 and age 21, and we know we have some students because of, of um, multiple disabilities that may choose to stay in school to age 21, they should be having the opportunity to try work in their chosen interest field. And they should be able to um, have work, work experiences. Um, and as they're getting closer to graduation, um, they should be able to do some paid internships that folk rehab agencies should be working with them and business, you know, working close with Department of Labor and um, identifying some businesses that relate to their vocational goal. And so often, you know, school districts and um, teachers, and I come from a family that is primarily teachers. So I have a deep admiration for everything that um, you all bring um, to to the, ch- the children and students that you're working with. But I think um, it's, it's really important that um, for you to be able to hear and know about the responsibilities and and understand that you don't have enough time with the expanded core curriculum to do all, all of the things that you need to do. But I think to be able to um, know that this is a mandate and that there should be opportunities um, through the school district to meet and partner with Voc Rehab. So, Peter, my answer, question for you is, through all of this, are you working with Voc Rehab? So the answer to your question, the work that I've done has been peripheral. That is, Evoke Rehab um, w- w- was a stakeholder. Um, uh, I, I, without getting into great detail, I have to tell you they weren't wildly supportive or, or helpful in the work that we did. Uh, having said that, that was um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, so things may be different now. But again, my primary concern and, and you know, with the work that we did you know, um, with these grants that I ran and other things, that the students, you know, were doing great academically. You know, they, they got their degree, they worked towards their degree, they're thriving on college campuses, but, but they found that the workplace, they were kind of unprepared for the self-advocacy they would have to do to deal with the challenges that they experienced at work. I'm thinking about technology challenges. I'm thinking about dealing with unpleasant people at work. I'm thinking about a bunch of stuff that everybody in the workplace has to experience. Um, and, um, it, it seems to be a, um, a problem that seems to be an issue now, you know, and talk to other folks who are doing the work and, and things that I've continued to notice. And I think there needs to be some work done helping people as they complete their education program become better self-advocates uh, so that they can deal with the issues that come up in the workplace. You know, the, all the ones we talk about, most specifically the ones I'm most aware of are the uh, technology issues, you know, that the technology is not fully accessible or not accessible at all. How do you, how do you uh, train um, these freshly graduated students to, to go to the human resource people or go to their boss and say, Hey, this isn't working. How can we work together to make this happen? Um, uh, because students need to be really need to be able to self-advocate to be successful in the workplace as we all do. Peter, that, raises a lot of things that I want to talk about. Okay, first of all, um, I'm going to go back to the legislation, that 14 to 21-year-old, because it hits a lot of the points that you're talking about, because it's mandating all of us to be working on um, job exploration, um, self-advocacy, um, really working with students to identify post-secondary opportunities, um, workplace readiness, which are the skills that you're talking about, how to not just self-advocate, self-advocate, but also the important skills to be successful on the job, how to relate and communicate with um, your boss and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And then, um, um, you know, that for them to have an opportunity all through high school to be able to experience that. For us as an agency, you know, we as the blind agency, we would be working and partnering with these students right up to the point that they're getting their job. We would be working with them on identifying 
and doing worksite assessments so that they know what kinds of accommodations that they need on the job and that um, we as an agency would be a resource for accommodations if the employer finds that it's an undue hardship. But we would also be able to test um, the computer system to be able to identify whether or not it's going to be effective with um, JAWS or ZoomText. If there's any kind of customizing um, we might need to do, um, those are all things as an agency that we would do. And as a bulk rehab agency, every day, and I'm aside from a district supervisor, I also carry a caseload. And um, every time I sit down and develop a plan with a client, I go through every single service that a voc rehab agency has to provide and how it would relate to them. And so a work site, those work site um, or any kind of job-related skills are mandated by every voc rehab agency. So the big thing I would ask is, are you making sure that that students are getting connected early with the voc rehab agency so that they're being followed through high school and as they're getting ready to graduate that they have services in place. I do recognize that across the state um, or across the country, I'm sorry, um, there's a number of agencies that have waiting lists. But I think that's why it's really important at age 14 um, that those referrals get sent on to um, the general voc rehab or your commission for the blind. Does that help, Peter? And, and, and before you respond, and let me say one more thing, is I, I think one of the most important things that, that you can do is encourage um, your consumers or your students to be involved in a consumer organization. They can really help support a student um, in, in transition um, that teaches in the self-advocacy. There are a lot of individuals that can help mentor them. They might be able to help them troubleshoot with some technology um, that maybe... Um, Maybe there isn't somebody readily through their voc rehab agency that could help with that. Um, there's just countless things that consumer organizations can help with. And I think that there is so much that we do with students between 14 and 21 that they get into college and all of a sudden they got used to all of these activities and all of a sudden they're 21 and there's not as much involved in, for them. And that's where consumers consumer organizations are important. Uh, thanks for that response. I appreciate it. Uh, this is Chris Hunsinger, and uh, my comment is that very often the education side and the voc rehab side don't work as seamlessly together as we would hope. And the other thing is that extended core curriculum stuff just never gets done there's a lot there too. You know, that is, you know, that it's, there's so much that is expected of, of teachers today. And, um, you know, for, you know, so many of the things that some of the sighted students have an opportunity to do, some of the blind students aren't able to take advantage of because of being pulled out to whether it's doing their O&M or whatever it is that they, they need to be working on. So we as an agency, we, we work with individuals after school and on weekends to provide um, independent living skills and um, opportunities to um, attend some workshops that will build leadership and self-advocacy. Um, we did a Dell Carnegie series with the students. Um, we also have a number of transition programs that um, we um, Winterfest that meets twice a year that brings students from across the state. And I'm not sure if many of you know, um, Nebraska is a very large geographic state, but two-thirds of the population live between Omaha and Lincoln. So as you get outside of Lincoln, you might be the only blind student in Binkelman, and the next one might be you know, six hours away. So we purposely have opportunities throughout the year to bring students together so they have a chance to meet other blind and visually impaired children and 
um, to know that they're not alone and they can continue to network with each other. You know, they are quickly, you know, they're so technical today. So they're quick to exchange phone numbers so that they can email and text and Instagram and, you know, you know, all of those things, chat and all some of those that I don't do. Um, but you know, the Velk Rehab, you know, this is something that you need to go back to your home states and talk about, you know, why it is that Velk Rehab isn't more hands-on because that's federal legislation that they should be coming into the schools and be working with students. And if not in school, then, you know, some dedicated time between that age of eight, those school ages of 14 to 21 when you as teachers would be working with them, you know, they, it's, it's a mandate for us to be making sure that students starting at 14, try work, all kinds of different work, not the same job each summer or after school. um, But they're trying different jobs so that by the time they graduate, they've created a career pathway for themselves to know what kind of post-secondary opportunity Um, whether it's going from school to work, school to um, post-secondary and on to um, employment. And and I'm going to have a little caveat here is I know that here in Nebraska and specifically in Omaha, Omaha has probably one of the largest school districts in the state. And I think that they are, at the end of the school year, they were talking about 700, between 700 and 800 um, teachers that were leaving um, teaching. And I know st- with the start of school next month, they're still projecting between 230 and 300 teachers being short. And this past year, not only were they short of teachers, but they couldn't get paraprofessionals. So I understand um, that certainly impacts the the service delivery of, you know, in that whole education process to students. Um, you know, under the best of conditions, it's hard to get everything done with that expanded core curriculum, but it's even harder with the challenges and having enough teachers. And I'm, I'm guessing this is um, true from across the country, but we as Voc Rehab are faced with this historic issue ourselves and being, uh, being able to hire enough individuals um, to be able to provide services. So, I'm, I'm not sure. COVID certainly had a big impact on that. And um, it um, is still, I'm here in Omaha, three, three positions down myself. And, you know, and where I used to get 80 applications, I, I might get one a month. So, so I think going back and talking about um, to your special ed director about, you know, how can we make sure um, we're implementing, you know, the legislation of WIOA. You know, how can we make sure um, that students are having an opportunity and our blind students having the opportunity or visually impaired students having that full opportunity to be trying work so that they know um, that what they, what they want to do as they're starting to graduate. And this legislation also... Um, impacts any student that has cognitive uh, disabilities and may be visually impaired or blind. No student can go from school directly into sheltered employment without first being seen and work and have voc rehab work with them on trying work. But, you know, everyone, no matter what their disability, should have an opportunity to try work as a part of their school day. So, um, is there any other questions regarding that? Well, one of the things, um, and I wasn't sure if there's any questions about, um, you know, the, the foundation about, I kind of explained that it started out as all volunteer and it was funded by donations and endowments and that, um, today it's largely, um, by us seeking, Grants through the Omaha Community Foundation. Every, I think, and every major um, community probably has a community foundation, um, and um, there is such a big emphasis in investing in our children and our 
and on our youth and our students. And so there could be, you know, if there's, if you're aware of a nonprofit that you can tap into that would work with you on um, developing opportunities for students in your state, you know, this is a, a great opportunity. You know, because, you know, so often technology can be so expensive, and this isn't something that parents and families can afford themselves. Could you please describe your unique programs that you have as far as um, how it is that you partner with the schools and districts around you to provide um, services that are not always available through the normal pipelines? Well, here in Nebraska, we're a little unique because um, we we don't have a lot of other community um, individuals that we can contract. So we, with the Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, we provide all of our services ourselves. And I've already said that we're three counselors down, but we have our general voc rehab agency. So we... Once a student turns 14, we actually open them as a vocational rehabilitation client. And so as a part of, of their services, we have a wide range of transition student services. And these transition services, some of them um, date back to us starting in um, about 1984. We believed in the importance of investing in youth. We saw it as pre- preventative vocational rehabilitation, but it just helps students start to um, feel, you know, that there's no reason why they can't be fully inclusive in all areas of their life. So we um, have a program, uh, as I mentioned, Winterfest, that's two times a year. And as a part, it usually starts on a Thursday evening and it finishes about noon on a Saturday. And we um, have a wide range of topics um, from self-advocacy to um, social skills. We might have, teach, have them come in and, and learn um, the importance of social graces. Um, and so if they went to dinner with a pers- um, prospective employer, as Peter was saying, how are we preparing people for the workplace? Or if you're going to lunch or dinner with coworkers, all those important social skills um, the leadership skills that we talked about. Um, we talked about, we've had people come in and, and um, talk about technology, but also being safe about technology and what you're posting out there on social media. So about every um, kind of topic, you know, that would relate to independence and um is, is something that we would look at as a part of our Winterfest, Winterfest programs. We also have um, a college workshop in which we um, bring individuals in um, from across the country to present um, about um, important skills to be um, independent in going to college, all the things that they need to know. They share their, their journey in in going to college and what, what that roadmap looked like for them and some of the things they did and some of the things that maybe they wish that they did. And I think that number of you who are teachers in the room or on in the Zoom room, there's so many things that were tools, but ultimately, you know, we can't make anyone do anything. So I bet each of you have a student that you've been working on, with on different skills and you just wish that they would work harder on it or embrace, embrace it a little bit more. And so um, th- these are opportunities for them to hear from other blind individuals um, that are attending college or have just finished college and how to best be prepared. Um, we also have a summer employment program um, this summer, we have about 14 students that are attending a six-week employment program, and it's held on our UNL campus. It's the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. They live in a dorm. They travel from their dorm to their, their work site. It helps introduce them to what campus is like, campus life is like, navigating uh, with their canes around a very, very busy cafeteria because the 
campus has a lot of summer sports camps and different programs. Um, so those um, dorm cafeterias are very, very busy. Um, but also that valuable skill of learning to get along with a roommate and um, recognizing that um, you need to value and understand personal space and keeping your own um, area clean and and organized. So those are just a few. Um, usually uh, we try to hold an employment conference. Um, and so as a part of almost every one of our programs, we include um, consumer organizations to partner with us come in and talk about their organizations and so that they realize that they um, can be a valuable part of your journey. So those are a few. So that's the Voc Rehab side. So we also have an older blind program in which we provide services to anyone over 55. And we work with them on the skills that they need to be able to retain their independence and stay in their own home. Um, not that we also will go into nursing homes and assisted livings, work with activity directors to make sure that individuals are able to be inclusive in all the different activities and that, that are being provided to them. Um, with regard to the older blind program, we also, um, about every other year, we hold a big older blind conference. We bring older blind from across the state um, in a central location and have a conference, a three-day conference in which they have a chance to network um, with each other, um, get to know each other. We have workshops that um, promote independence and valuable resources that will help them um, retain their independence. And um, also, this is another area where our consumer organizations join us as a part of those activities. We're a very consumer-driven um, state. And then lastly, we have an independent living program for those individuals under 55 that um, are not able to work or maybe work is not something that is um, in their plan at this time. We would work with them on some independent living skills that they need um, to stay independent in their home and be active in their community, whether it's um, working with cooking and cleaning to working with mobility. And so that would include um, that those early years, anyone under under 55. So if there's some youth, we oftentimes get referrals um, for maybe a newborn um, that has been born blind, and we connect them with um, other parents and um, and important resources that are going to help them, and also connecting them with early childhood. Um, education opportunities so that they get connected right away. So that's a little bit about some of those early transition programs um, and then our general services. But I think, um, as I said, I, I hope it comes across to realize that we can't do it all. You know, we tap into other resources. We we bring in other resources to, to share their expertise, to... Um, to share their their journeys, you know, because they've walked a mile in in um, individual shoes, and and you know sometimes as a sighted counselor, you know it's one thing you know to understand or to say you understand where you're, they're coming from. It's not the same as being able to network and meet other blind and visually impaired people or persons in a part of their journey. So. Um, Anything else? Did that answer your the question, Carla? Point, um, at this point, um, would you prefer to um, go on a little more with the presentation, or, or would you prefer to take questions on specifics? I'm going to go ahead and take questions. Hey, um, my question is um, for the book rehab services, um, what kind of accommodations have students like Ask for. Okay, Jenna, I think that the accommodations um, are something that are truly unique to you. It's the accommodations okay. that you need. And so if you are going from high school to college, the accommodations that you receive through your education program at high school 
a copy of that IPE should go to your college. And then if there's additional accommodations that you need, you can identify those as well. They aren't limited to what was on your IEP. And so the um, student support services should outline the different um, accommodations that are available. And that's okay. And that's I mean, I'm at the point where I'm going to be like working with students. So like what what accommodations like should I be looking for? Well, if you're talking about blindness, um, visual impairment and being able to have your books um, electronically so that you're able to either adjust the font or use um, speech, whether it's a screen reader or voiceover with it. Um, Okay. Yeah. And being able to maybe request um, any kind of PowerPoints in accessible format and having PowerPoints and maybe some lectures ahead of time, um, the professor providing notes or your teachers, um, those sometimes can help students um, when they're kind of struggling with some of that note-taking. Um, you could ask for a note-taker, so somebody could take notes and give you a copy of their notes. You could also ask for extended time for testing, and that could be either in the room or usually there's a testing center as a part of the school and you can go there, schedule a time to take the test and the results would be sent on to your professor. Those are just a few accommodations. Um, There's a long list of them. And I do think that Carla has my contact information. I'm, I'm glad to hear from anybody and provide resources to anyone that's a part of this program today. Hi, my name is Carrie Muth and I'm, in Oregon. And I have worked with our state agency for a long time as a contractor and worked as a job developer. But more interestingly, this last February, I took a job um, at the community college. There is a pilot program called ICAP or Inclusive Career Advancement Program. And I know eight states are involved. Is Nebraska one of those? I I do believe that they're entertaining. They're starting to work on that. Okay. So for those in the audience, so I was hired um, in Coos Bay, Oregon. I was the first hiree at a community college in Oregon in February. And so my role is to help the students connect with VR services or Commission for the Blind Services and help the voc rehab counselors work with the college as well and the students. So kind of helping to bridge some of that gap and providing some of the extra support because a lot of times when a student gets out of high school and they start in college, you know, up until then, there's been those extra support people in their lives to help them with the IEP and what accommodations they need. Well, as soon as they hit college, you know, a lot of times they don't have those or know what to do, or like Peter mentioned, the self-advocacy to say, oh, I need this. And so my role is to kind of help fill in with that and help direct the students. So they have like a, an extra support person on campus that checks in with them and says, oh, hey, oh, you're needing a little extra tutoring. Hey, let's go over here to this program or, you know, some of those things. So it's a pretty exciting program that is out there. And I know there are eight states, Oregon of which is one and they are community college level. So, you know, if your state's on that, um, it, it is a good thing to, to kind of coordinate with those people. And so, so have you, as the speaker, you, you believe they're one of them? Have you guys moved forward? I, I don't know if it's called that. We have navigators through our community college. Mm-hmm. And so they work closely with um, students um, that have been a part of voc rehab, and they work with them trying to connect them if if they aren't connected because they feel like that they're kind of struggling and they need additional um, skills in order to be successful. So they will bring us in. Um, and you're exactly right about that level of support that students get. And and I'm, this is probably me on my soapbox, but. You know, doing this for a very long time and going into IEPs, and I, I'm probably speaking to the choir here, but we have to have elevated expectations of our students. 
because for the exact reason is that at some point in time, that level of support isn't going to be there. So if you think in when you're going to school, that if the other students are doing as a part of their assignment, 50 um, questions, and you say that the blind or visually impaired student only needs to do 10, you know, you, you ultimately get to a point where it's, you know, you we're not really preparing students because, you know, you have to do all of the work when it comes to college and, and having that navigator there is going to help them with that transition. Um, but also those elevated expectations are going to help people as they go on to, to um, from college to employment because employers are going to want you to do a hundred percent of the work, not that they aren't willing to provide accommodations. So, so I think everything that we can do um, to support students, um, whether all through their their um, academic program, whether we're talking about secondary or post secondary, you know, to make that transition and making sure that they're connected, and if they're at the four year college um, or university, making sure that they're getting connected with their student support services and. Um, what additional tutoring and those types of things and supports that they need to be successful. Does, um, does that address what you're talking? Yeah, thank you. And I, uh-huh. I just wanted to make sure that the audience was aware of those programs um, on the college level to, to be able to connect and reach out to their local colleges and to see what is available, you know, for students. So thank you. I appreciated you bringing that up. Thank you. And and I must admit, I really enjoyed listening to what Nebraska offers because I've been pretty involved with Oregon and I see things that would be really cool to, you know, try to advocate for implementation. So thank you. Okay. Hello. My name is Connie Bateman from Sacramento, California, and I am a former teacher of the visually impaired And one of the highlights of my career was that I was able to provide one of my high school students the opportunity to attend a summer transition program at California School for the Blind. And she picked up skills there that she couldn't get during the school year, such as social skills and daily living skills. And then I remember that my high school seniors were required to contact the community colleges to arrange their own placement tests. And one student said, oh, can't you call for me? And I said, well, I could, but that would be doing you a total disservice because I'm not always always going to be around for you. So you need to start learning to do these things by yourself. And he said, okay. So that is one way to get the students to start practicing self-advocacy skills. Uh, expect them to contact the colleges and schedule their placement tests and arrange accommodations. And as we know, everything is online now, so... So they would have to take care of that themselves. Um, I am um, currently a member of the ACB Special Education Task Force. And our main purpose is to educate everyone involved in the education of blind and visually impaired students of the specialized training and instruction that they need um, in different areas under the expanded core curriculum, such as daily living skills, uh, Braille, technology, orientation, and mobility. What can we do as an an organization to work with school districts to ensure that these students get the specialized training and instruction that they need? Wow. <laughs> Uh, that's a hand. That's a mouthful. Sorry about. That. Yeah, no, you know, that's a loaded, loaded question. It is. It is. I think you know. I think the big thing. I I think that it's important for consumers to um, tap into what what's currently happening, what opportunities are being provided. You know, I think your state agencies should be having um, whether however they're governed governed you know we are an independent commission so so we we meet four times a year all around the state to hear what's happening but we also have developed memorandums of understanding with all of our community partners to make sure that we're on the same page in providing all the services that we're mandated to provide i think that consumers need to be um, talking to the general voc rehab agencies about, you know, how are these things being implemented um, so that we can make sure that 
you know, that our students, um, each and every one of them have that opportunity. Um, you know, every state, you know, is a little different. Um, you know, here in Nebraska, we have two voc rehab agencies. We have the general voc rehab agency, which is under the department of um, education and we're an independent commission. And so, um, but we do work collaboratively together. And um, if they identify a student or, or vice versa, you know, we, we communicate with one another. But um, I, I, I'm probably not going to come up with really great ideas other than, you know, any kind of public meetings and, you know, asking for some transparency about how um, services are being provided um, across, you know, your state, you know, and not just, uh, you know, larger metropolitan areas that making sure that um, all students are, are receiving those, those services. Because, um, you know, like I said, Nebraska is a large geographic area. And a lot of you guys have come from states like that. And, and so we, we fig- try to figure out work opportunities on during the summer where we as an agency pay the wages mm-hmm. for students to work in their home community. Um, but they have an opportunity to work on, on um, skills you know, all the kinds of independent living skills that they need. I do think, um, you know, working with the teachers of the visually impaired um, and seeing what they're able to provide, you know, and they're pretty, you know, their caseloads can be very large. They might have a lot of uh, Braille um, users and that they're trying to teach Braille. You know, all of that takes a lot of time. And so I think the other advocacy that a lot of the states don't know about is the parent training and information center that can really um, give parents the right to come in and um, ensure that those, those services are being provided their rights in the IEP process. So it, it's allowing parents or guardians to be able to leverage their voice. Um, but then also um, the Parent and Training Information Center really encourages um, parents to bring other people to advocate for them. So having uh, maybe somebody from the blind community to attend an IEP um, to make sure that these things are are happening as a part of a, a student's curriculum. Does that answer your question, Connie? Yes, thank you. One of the best pieces of legislation um, is is this work in in really preparing students? We all know what the unemployment and underemployment rate is, and I think that this opportunity where we're building skills and an opportunity from a very early age of understanding work, the expectation of work, um, having all the tools in place, um, because that's another. Um, um, role of voc rehab is if there is an accommodation that a student at 14 or 16 needs as a part of their work experience to try work, the accommodations need to be put in place by the voc rehab agency. So, so I think this legislation is getting all of us to tap into what is the school already doing and trying as a part of work. Um, What do we need to do to to provide additional opportunities. And then we do have some students that are very medically involved that become referrals that um, maybe are not able to work. But, you know, that decision would never be made without um, a full IEP team making that decision and voc rehab being at the table um, to um, hear that and understand that um, then every year we'll follow up to make sure that the situation um, hasn't changed and continue to do information and referral with that family. But I think that it's challenged us to all work together. Um, so our, I'm a member of the workforce um, board um, here in Omaha. And so we, we do a lot. We have a youth council. We do um, youth job fairs. Um, we work with the city of Omaha that has a summer youth employment program. 
So it's, it's, it's challenging us and goes along with the, the purpose and the thought of the topic today is it takes a village. Not one of us can do it, but all of us collectively can. So I don't have a lot um, unless there's some other questions. Good afternoon. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for this uh, conversation that you are having on transition. I know that in many states, transition is still um, struggling to, um, I'm going to say, broaden its growth to accommodate people with disabilities. I come from the cross-disability perspective. I've worked with independent living centers. I've also served on my state commission on rehab services. I was involved at, with the Commission on Rehab Services in my state at the time the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act came into existence. And I was so glad to see that the workforce development um, programs and the vocational rehabilitation programs had the joint state plans come about. However, one of the things I've also become involved with that is kind of involved with all of this is the Employment First program. And I haven't heard you speak as to um, where Nebraska stands on Employment First, but I think transition skills, training, and that um, is a good bridge into ensuring that employment does become first. And um, I was just wondering, where do you stand with the Employment First program? Thank you. Indiana? Yes. Okay. I'm going to have you um, talk to everyone about what Employment First is. I've been been talking, I've been talking um, all this whole hour. So I'm going to let you explain Employment First and then I'll respond. Well, Employment First is actually where us as consumers can become more involved because as people with disabilities, as people who are visually impaired, we can be reaching out to our employers in our communities and showing them and telling them and talking to them about our skills and abilities. But in the whole networking programs that are being developed by Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act with having your vocational rehabilitation counselors or district officers um, and your Department of Labor, as well as your um, your city officials and county officials coming together to try to expand employment opportunities. You as consumers can get involved in many different levels um, of looking for employment. This can, this could include having um, workshops in your community to um, share what the abilities of people with disabilities are also having town halls to find out where the barriers on employment are. But basically, our coalition in our state um, basically found um, our larger communities of people with disabilities and had them come together and work together on building our coalition and starting to work from the grassroots um, and talking to employers and working with our communities and trying to find a way to make an inroad within our county and city governments that people with disabilities could be more active in what policies and what opportunities become available as far as employment. Thank you. And so Nebraska does have an um, employment first um, but I think one of the things is that, you know, it also really struck, um, stresses and that outreach to individuals that have been really underserved or individuals from a wide range of barriers um, to employment and not just disabilities. Um, Correct. And, and so it's really empowering people to be a part of that process. And for us as an agency, we, you know, we have that philosophy anyway, that it's really a team. It's not just us going out and and doing job development. We do that. And we don't, we don't take the the thought of job development that, okay, um, Amazon's coming into Omaha, they're going to have all these jobs. So everyone should go work there. You know, you know, it's truly an individualized employment program. 
And so it's based on what an individual wants to do. And so we, we want them to talk to us about, you know, based on your goal, what are some of the businesses that you would like to work with? They, they take an active role in researching that, um, and being, um, you know, as they're doing their, their actual application, working with them to make sure that they have the skills to be able to upload applications their application, their resume, their cover letter, being able to be prepared for um, any evaluations or assessments that might come up, um, that there's so much that puts them in that self-advocacy role of employment. But, you know, we all know one of the, the barriers is that it's fine to apply, but if you don't know if that that computer system is working, where we come in is that we'll have that tested. If we once we know somebody has applied for a job, they've taken that that uh, that ad self advocacy role. Um, then what we do is we do follow up with the business, um, talk to them about how we work in partnership with this individual, how we um, work with the businesses in our community, how we will come in and assess and do. Worksite, asses- worksite assessments and being able to talk about any kind of um, customizing we might need to do with their computers um, for the uh, different software that an individual might be using and also be a resource for the accommodations. So it's, it's truly a partnership um, throughout the process. Does that help, Deanna? Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I did hear the question of how how can we become involved? Well, there are opportunities going on out there in all of our states, in all of our communities that we can be a part. We just need to seek them out, whether they be in the coalitions of employment first, whether they be in getting involved in transition councils, um, in parent organizations within our communities. Um, You brought up the parent um, information networks within our states that work with the, um, you know, with the uh, um, IEPs and that. If there is definitely a need for support of parents um, in in the IEPs, because sometimes they don't have the advocacy skills. Um, And sometimes by being involved with that network, you can also learn how your child can become their best advocate. I, I think you just said a mouthful because I think um, we go to IEPs and here it could be a senior and the senior isn't even at their, their last IEP. Right. You know, the student should be an active part of that IEP from a very early age. And then in other school districts, we have the student that is really directing the IEP process. So it gets into some of the other things that we were talking about being prepared at that community college or college level, you know, really having some expectation that the students starting at junior and senior, they're starting to research their books and learning to download their books with Bookshare and that um, so that those are skills that they have that will transition um, into their post-secondary education. I'm with the WCB, Washington Council of the Blind Families Committee, and I know we talked about 14 and above, but you talked earlier also about earlier child children. And in our community, our little town of Anacortes, we have a nine-year-old child with albinism, and her mother has struggled with the IEP trying to get her more services For example, training with a white cane. At this point, the state school sends someone out once a month for one hour training on white cane and then takes the cane back with them because they said she doesn't know enough to be able to keep it. And similarly, they refuse to teach her Braille because they said she has too much vision. And, you know, here we have a nine-year-old hearing that no matter what you do at the school and trying to advocate, her mother trying to advocate with her for these services they're being turned down. What would you suggest? Well, I think, I think, um, you know, the best thing that you can do is that every state should have a parent train, um, parent training and information center. And as I said, 
um, Carla has my information. You know, I can work with you on some of those types of things. But that student um, should have, as a part of the IEP, because the parents are requesting it, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they are, are really providing the services that, that the student needs based on what the parent's requesting. And I know that oftentimes they'll come back and feel that if a student has residual vision that they don't need Braille. But, you know, you start earlier with a student and it's going to be better. You you wait and all of a sudden offer it when they're a teenager. They don't want to be different. And mm-hmm. so they're gonna they're just going to struggle through the rest of their high school or maybe even college because they, they don't want to learn at that point. But if they have that interest and if the parent wants them to have it, um, there's no point in coming and bringing a cane and then leaving with the cane. I mean, how do you have a chance to reinforce the skill? Right. So, so the best thing you can do, because with the Parent Training and Information Center, they will have somebody that will work with self-advocacy in that IEP process. If the school district continues to um, say that they're not going to provide it, that they'll escalate that to the state level, and um, there will be um, somebody at the state level that will come down and address the issue with the school district. I think we're just about out of time, folks. Um, But I just want to say this could have gone on for a couple of days. There are so many issues and so many questions. But we owe it to the next generation of people, of students who are blind and visually impaired, and also to the newly blind and visually impaired people that we have that have um, become in this condition, you know, later in life. But we owe it to all of these people to help them to become more independent. It may sound expensive, but in the long run, the more independent that people can be, the less money the federal government is going to have to spend on us. And um, and so I, I would like to take this opportunity. Could you all please um, thank... Nancy for her presentation. I think this has been quite informative and I want to thank you all for coming. And I wanted to thank you for listening and joining me today.